Hey, it's Nick Walters again with the National Hemp Growers Digest, the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest, I should say, our podcast. Uh, welcome back for another great episode. We are um, flat out tickled to death to make sure that we are keeping up with quality folks uh, that we are interviewing and not just some bunch of Jake legs. So we are, are glad to know that we have um, uh, met the quality standard uh, threshold yet again today. So Dr. Tyler Mark um, at the University of Kentucky, who is also with the um, Kentucky um, Cooperative Extension Service, uh, is our guest today. Dr. Mark is a familiar face with a lot of people who are keeping up with anything going on in the hemp industry because of the work that UK has done. And so he's um, speaking in all kinds of places and parks. And and uh, uh, I know we're going to see him at NOCO together and, and a lot of other good things going on. So Dr. Mark, thank you for making time for us today to come on the podcast. Well, Nick, thanks. Thanks for the invite and the opportunity to, to speak to this group. And it's always a pleasure to uh, to get out and, and speak. And actually, now we're starting to get back in person. So we actually get to see each other in person and and continue to build those relationships. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to speaking at NOCO uh, and getting to interact with that group some as well as I'm speaking at the Vermont Hemp Conference uh, the week before that. Uh -huh. um, so we, we've got lots of opportunities coming up to, to talk about uh, some of the opportunities coming forth in this industry. Hot dog, hot dog. And I know y'all have been right at the center of all of that, and you have been really paying attention to it. You know, not every state extension service, for various reasons, are as involved with hemp, right? And and so for, for those states that uh, don't have their typical either, you know, land-grant 1862-ish or their 1890s or somebody involved in that, Sometimes finding out some good information, we got to root around and be able to find good people like you that are doing that work. So thank you for what you, what you have done thus far uh, and continue to do. Yeah. So, no, it's it's been a pleasure. It's been kind of fun to get into this industry. So, I mean, maybe a little bit of background upon myself. Please, please. I, I come from uh, a small farm here in the state of Kentucky, about 30 miles east of Lexington, uh, seventh generation farmer there. So I spend, uh, you know, a little bit of time working with my dad uh, on that operation, but uh, I've kind of gotten out of that to some degree now with, with work. Uh, but kind of I came to this industry in 2014 when uh, – a lot of other uh, faculty members weren't really willing to take on this industry because they already had other commitments. Um, ironically, I have no extension appointment uh, to, to speak of, uh, but I did a lot of stuff with extension growing up and through the farm operation. Uh, so I find this a unique opportunity to get back into this commodity uh, that, uh, you know, to get back to this commodity, a lot of things that extension gave to me uh, growing up in the agricultural sector. So uh, that's been one of those pieces also on our family farm, we had hemp uh, back in the day. So uh, it's kind of cool to be part of a new crop coming back into production after it had been out for 80 years. So it was basically non-existent. And now we get the opportunity to, to try and help put this together and, and make an industry out of this. Uh, you know, the last real uh, crop that probably came and became commoditized is probably soybeans. And that was back in the nineties. Uh, early 90s. So this is another opportunity to, to potentially get on this and, and look at this uh, from a lot of different perspectives. So um, at the University of Kentucky, we're kind of covering the gamut. So initially, I'm a production economist by training. Um, 
during my schooling, I, I was at Purdue for my master's. I uh, did my undergrad here at UK, Purdue for my master's, LSU for my PhD. LSU, I worked in the sugarcane industry. So that whole processing space and, and looking at logistics and, and that type of stuff has been really beneficial uh, when I start to come into this industry, especially on the fiber side, when we start to think about how we move these bulk commodities around efficiently from a logistics and transportation standpoint. Uh, but now I've kind of evolved into this, uh, I don't know, a Swiss army knife or a jack of all trades across the hemp space. And, you know, I initially started in the production space with my budgets and enterprise budgets that were some early on in, in this game. And now I've evolved all the way to the, to the end user in the consumer spaces. We're doing surveys there to look at what the markets look like for all this. So it's been, uh, it's been an exciting ride and, and I look forward to seeing what comes in the next several years. Well, I, I I wasn't aware that you got your PhD at LSU, so you know how to spell the difference, how to at least pronounce bagasse or bagasse, which one ever it is, right? Depending yes. On, depending on where you are, is that a cultural thing of the way you pronounce that from sugarcane? Well, you know, I pronounce it bagasse, which is what I was introduced to down there. <laughs> uh, now. You know, granted, depending upon where you're at in the state of Louisiana and, and as with even within the state of Kentucky, the accents can get so thick uh, that, uh, you know, you, you can't really tell what they're saying anyway. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, so, it's, uh, you know, I did love my time at LSU. Um, love to get back down there. I've actually still got family uh, in the area as well. So, oh, do you really? Cool. Good. Well, when you do that, you make sure you whip through us here in Mississippi and we'll be able to chat it up. So right. tell us more about kind of um, how, tell us about some of the things that you would call some of the highlights or some of your favorites or some things you guys have been able to work on previously at UK. And then I know you've really got some great things in the pipeline, uh, particularly around the markets, right? I mean, we've talked <laughs> about some of that on some other visits we've done. How do we really even know what the you know that it's a real thing, right? I mean, what is the market and what is the market for him? And and layered on top of that is also kind of what I call the maybe some of the good and the bad of of hemp itself, because the good is is it will do all of these things. The bad, not necessarily bad, but the thing that can make that a little frustrating sometimes is because it can do all of these things then which one of these things are we going to focus on that we're going to be into production for, right? Am I doing bioplastics? Am I doing, you know, uh, hip hearts for my, my, my yogurt in the morning? I mean, what, where, what all am I doing? And the answer is yes, we're doing all of it. So um, um, uh, some of those things for you to help figure out and, and sort through are really interesting to me. Sure. So I guess that comment there kind of harkens me back to, to working on my PhD and, you know, down in the state of Louisiana, you'd be there and they have all this bag ass that comes out of these sugarcane meals and you can make everything you want out of that bag ass, except for money. Right. That's, that's the hard part. And they tried to do all these different right. things. And to some degree, some of this right now with all these different products out there, you, you could do everything with this plant, but make money in some, in some cases. <laughs> so, you know, that that's really kind of shaped some of where, uh, you know, I've started about trying to dig into this crop, uh, in different places, uh, you know, to, you know, early on. And, and I mean, even still today, it's really, really difficult to come by hard, solid numbers uh, to, to actually look at projections going forward. I mean, yes, there are some, you know, there's, there's different people out there collecting different information. Some of it's behind paywalls, some of it's difficult to discern how the data was collected. Um, 
you know, so it's really difficult to figure out uh, where we've been going with that. So we've been moving pretty slowly, uh, I would say, at the University of Kentucky within my group to to put out a whole lot of like hard numbers. Oh. I mean, you put out estimates and anecdotal things. Uh, but I think the really exciting piece right now is I think we're actually we're actually at a point now where we have enough information, data coming in to actually estimate some models to to really put some. Um, you know, to some more credence behind what we're saying uh, and validity uh, to what we're saying. So, you know, early on, we were looking at uh, a lot of the enterprise budgets. I think the enterprise budgets are, they're, they're okay. They're solid. Uh, they're based upon best practices that we have in place, but realize that those best practices are changing almost annually now oh, and they change yes. by parts of the country. Right. So that's one of the pieces that we wanted to do with our enterprise budget is put that out there. It's extremely flexible. Um, we didn't lock anything down, so feel free to go in and change it, modify it to your operation, you know, to 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 what you're doing there. Uh, we just wanted to provide a framework for you to think about that in. So that's something that's out there. Uh, it's on the University of Kentucky Industrial Hemp page. You can find that, uh, download that Excel spreadsheet there. And by all means, if you have comments on it, things that you're like, oh, well, you're way off here. Well, shoot us an email. I mean, right. we're more than happy to talk about where we got that from, where we're, where we're basing that on. And we're also open to change as well. So, I mean, uh, uh, you know, I, I always in, invite feedback uh, on what we're doing. Um, some other things that, that we kind of have going on, we, we've been involved in the state of Kentucky here for since 2014. Uh, hopefully within the next few months, we'll get out uh, to the state of Kentucky kind of a report of what's really transpired in the hemp industry uh, since that 2014 time period. I mean, we've seen a huge ramp up in acreage. Uh, now we're back down to, you know, 12, 1300 acres in the state of Kentucky down from 20,000 acres in 2019. So, you know, there, there's a lot of movement that's happening in that industry. And is it, is it really uh, people who have been in the farming space and are choosing to get in and out of it? Or is it new people that came in that left quickly because they didn't understand that? You know, there's a lot of facets uh, to what's going on in that. And the unique part is, is kind of going forward and talking about some of the things that are coming is we're doing exactly the same thing in Colorado as well. So I've got a lot of colleagues in Colorado. We have two very different landscapes and setups in the industries, uh, both from uh, the production side as well as the processing side and kind of how that's managed. So I think that'll be a really cool study that um, we're in the middle of now. Hopefully we'll get something out uh, more concrete on it in the next uh, couple of months. But we're also looking at those, those states that came in uh, you know, at later dates too. So kind of that second wave of states and then finally that, uh, you know, third or fourth wave of states uh, that now with, that we have a national program and, and anybody in the nation can produce. So um, because those curves and how they bring acres in are, are quite different. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and, and then is, is part of that too, where you're able to try to discern in the green gold rush for that those uh, uh, years of of when it, when people were trying to jump in for CBD, and then growers and farmers that went holy moly, wish I wouldn't have done that, right? And and um, <clears throat> versus, well, no, that you know I'm still in. I like hemp. I want to be a part of it, uh, but now I've got more knowledge about kind of the markets and where I think I get my con. Is it kind of along sorting out the folks who might say, well, heck, I'd try emu farming. Let's go try that for a while, you know, and then that's a new thing as compared to, no, look, we are ongoing producers, growers, 
we're going to use hemp now as a cover crop or, or, or that we're going to use it as a rotation or we're going to use it. But is that kind of some of that discernment that y'all are doing? Because so, Yeah, we're, we're kind of digging into that, too. And you, you kind of just jumped right into another study. We, we are almost at uh, the point of releasing as well. You know, we we looked at uh, about uh, 10 different producers in the state of Kentucky, 10 different producers in the state of Colorado and four different producers uh, in the state of New York. And we went back and we assessed their market channels. Where are they going with this material? And then we're trying to, to, to decipher that out by, all right, did you increase, decrease acreages? Why did you increase and decrease acreages? What, how many different marketing channels were you using? How many different products were you trying to push out uh, within those marketing channels? What was your fan? What was your history at the farm? Did you have multi-generational? Were you just a beginning farmer? So we're, we're trying to, parse all that out. Now, granted, this is going to be a small, this is a small scale study, but we'll ramp it up uh, at a later point. But I, I think we're seeing some really interesting pieces in that, you know, and when you, when you start talking about that, that gold rush piece, I, I think what um, the interesting thing is, is those individuals that were already in the, the specialty crops, vegetable crop space, they, they tended to to be able to get into it a little easier because they were already used to those market channels and those scenarios, especially on the CBD side, on the, you know, the more commercial industrial side on grain and fiber. I think those producers were really struggling to figure out how to do that because they're used to having a ready-made market. Uh, they, they know that elevator is down the road and they can take it down there. They're going to get a price for it and they're going to get a check for it in the mail. That is not the case as this industry develops uh, for, for grain and fiber. And, and we've got to build out those components. But at the same point in time, those grain elevators and those processors aren't really going to come until they see a volume that warrants them being able to make a profit to get into to handling those types of products. Because, um, you know, even if you go look at the Canadian scenario in the grain space, the, the, the handling of that grain uh, is quite a bit more labor intensive than what you would see in our traditional grains that you would see there in the Delta area uh, or here in Kentucky. So, you know, and it's going into a food space. So it's got a different level of standards. And, you know, if you get mold in that, you're pretty well shot. Uh, in that space. And then when you get into the fiber side, you know, you got to deal with the redding process and how is it processed? How long are the fibers? You know, and I, and I think in many of these spaces, we, we've thrown a lot of production out there without thought on what's the end product and those end products, what are the tolerances and specifications that those products have to have to fit into our current pipelines? If we aren't right. fitting into our current pipelines, then you've got to build out a whole new space. And that is much more difficult than how do I get into, you know, if you're going to go in the fiber side and you're going to go into automobile manufacturing uh, panels and stuff, well, what size fibers do they have that go into that? If we can't match that fiber and those, pro those standards going in, it's going to be very tough for us to break into those markets. But some of these markets are absolutely huge as well. So we don't have to take over the entire market. We just need a very small percentage to get the ball rolling. Um, so I, I think that that's been a, a fun piece to talk about and, and look at. We don't really have a good solution for it yet, uh, but I, I think that's coming. And I think as the genetics uh, and continued research in this space, we will uh, we'll overcome those. But we got to think about how we work backwards in the supply chain versus just trying to push it through um, whatever we get out. Yeah, so, I so totally agree with that because, you know, I mean, that's part of the reason that we have found folks who are attracted to what we're doing at the co-op <clears throat> is because we're trying to kind of fill those 
chickens and eggs in part of that, right? Let's start mm -hmm. kind of cracking the egg a little bit and start getting an idea instead of saying, here is what the end use is going to be, you know, and, and mm -hmm. if we're going to make, you know, biochar out of it, then the processing equipment is going to be different possibly than it would be if we are doing it for textiles, right? right. And, and so how it's broken down, how it comes in, square bales, round bales, this, what time of the year has it been redded, how much redded, but all of those pictures, pieces have to come together. And it's not just as simple as being able to say, okay, well, we, how much are we going to get for your soybeans? You know, bring them down. Let's go. We're going to make crush this today. And we're going to do this today. And, you know, I mean, it's, 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 we, we, we always have to remind ourselves. I do anyway, on a day-to-day -day basis, We've been in Rip Van Winkle mode for 75, 80 years. We're not going to get it with him, right? Mm -hmm. We're not going to get it all figured out and, and solved in the next 15 minutes. You know, <clears throat> we've done a lot, a lot, a lot of work, and there's been a lot of work that's been done. And there's a lot of work on the, on the market and the people that want it and understand how it fits into ESG and sustainability and how it can do so many great things. But, you know... We, you you got to put on your marathon shoes, right? This right. Is, don't don't put your don't put your 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 uh, uh, flip flops on because that's not going to make it, <laughs> right. right? So no, and I you know I think the interesting thing is you know we we had this big run up in CBD uh, and cannabinoids and and I think there's a niche market in here for this uh, and potentially even a bigger than a niche market depends upon what FDA and medical studies come back and say and how that plays out, but. You know, that kind of bursting of that bubble, if you want to say, has now allowed the industry an opportunity to reset itself and to, to now push maybe some more interest towards the grain and fiber side, which, in my opinion, probably have greater acreage potential uh, and, and competing for acres. But keep in mind, these acres are still competing with uh, record high grain prices. So we, we have to find ways uh, to um, to to incentivize producers to actually switch acreage. So if we if we can't provide them a, a revenue that's higher than what they're doing with, with other commodities, that's gonna be a, a difficult sell as well. So we, we've gotta be strategic in, in how we're thinking about that, which kind of gets us into one of the other pieces that we're looking at and, and is how do we price this stuff? I mean, you know, we're pricing CBD or, or the extraction side basically on a, a per dollars per percent CBD. Well, CBD is, a component that's in there, but it's not the only component. Right. So there, are, there should be value in some of those others that are in there that producers aren't getting paid for. Same thing on the grain and fiber side. There's no, there's no component in there for quality, right? So, you know, for for grain, you know, it's it's an oil seed. So what's what's the oil value? What's the meal value? There's there's two components there. Uh, on the fiber side, it's you know. Depend upon that in market. I mean, you you made the comment biochar that requires a different set of standards that's going to be paid on a different basis than somebody that's going into the textile industry. And you know, how is it redded? Was it redded in long strand? Was it billeted? Was you know, was it chemical redded? If it was chemical redded, you may have a totally different scheme. So we've right. got to be able to parse and think about what um, what that looks like but in a uh, logical framework that then feeds back to the farm level that allows a producer to make enough money for them to shift acres. Absolutely. No, 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 no. I think it's, 
it's a fascinating story to me to be able to kind of watch and see how all of it comes together. And I think it's the more that people are patient and understanding, at least of understanding where we are. And, and as long as there's not too much hype around, um, oh, this is, you know, going to solve all these other kajillion things at one time. Let's just be real kind of about where we're going, where we're headed, understanding those market factors, because what y'all are doing on the market end, <clears throat> uh, particularly within your wheel space, and, and, and we're also going to have uh, your colleague from Colorado State, uh, Dr. Hill, is going to come on uh, in a few uh, weeks, and she's going to come on and give us some other great perspective. You know, to me, at the end of the day, while we can, I think that I may be wrong about this, right? But 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 the, we can figure out the things like our agronomist, Dr. Cornett, and others think about the genetics and how it's going to grow, and what you know, what are some of the how that fits into the water table, and what kind of you know how we connect with folks like the Rodale Institute and others like that on growing, you know, regenerative. Those things to me seems like we can figure those things out. It may take a while may take a couple of growth seasons to get it all figured out based off of temperate zones and genetics and stuff, but it is within the realm of doable. Until those things all nail down, we really got to understand where the market is going to be, where the prices are going to be, so that growers and farmers can understand, yes, that is worth it to me to want to invest in those things, it, whether it's through a co-op like ours or it's just in a, you know, contractually owned for them to be able to grow, that they understand this is what the real uptake is. And, and so uh, this is really kind of where we're headed. And yes, the biochar industry is, let's just keep picking on them, right? I mean, it's awesome to think about all that. Well, how kind of a, what does that market really look like? And, and so um, uh, all of that fit back and forth. I think it's just a real cool time to be able to watch it. Yeah, it is. Well, I'm definitely glad you're going to have Dr. Hill on and, you know, I'll, I'll save uh, some thunder for her because <laughs> we're on multiple projects together. Right. Uh, and, you know, one thing I will say about this industry and, and I guess to kind of give, you know, praise to USDA is they've, they've really started to put a lot of money towards this industry and, and trying to really catch up uh, with that. I mean, I know right now myself, uh, Rebecca included, have six or seven funded USDA projects, you know, on all kinds of various aspects uh, of this work. And, and I would encourage you to talk with her about uh, the impact analysis that she's putting together yes. uh, and, and what's going on in that space, uh, because that's, a, that's a really cool project and uh, trying to, trying to really figure out what, what the potential impact of this is going to be uh, for at least a four state piece to start with. Uh, but, We'll expand that uh, as we continue to go along. But another project that we're a piece of is, is the production cost uh, survey. So we saw NAS put out their survey results uh, February 17th um, right. from their acreage and yield survey, uh, which was a, a great start. We have kind of a, another follow-on survey piece to that that's going to survey, be a census of all hemp producers across the country to try and nail down some more about what these production costs looks like, production practices, um, more on the marketing side, more on the environmental side, so that we can we can capture and have a fuller picture of what the, the industry across the country actually looks like. Um, so I'm hoping we'll see that come out in 2022. Uh, I will say that that's kind of caught up right now in, in uh, 
the bureaucracy of federal governments and surveys. So it's just a, it is what it is. Uh, but I look forward to being able to launch that survey later this year. And we've got some uh, fellow or not fellowships. So we've got some uh, focus groups that are going to kind of go along with that. And we're going to, we're going to pick some specific pockets around the country uh, and go do actual interviews, in-person interviews with uh, producers, you know, as, as kind of a ground truthing uh, of the survey and what, what transpired and what we get back out of the survey. So that's on the production side. On the consumer side, we're doing a similar thing as well. So uh, right now we've got a, a, a national survey that's been running since February of 21. Uh, every month, it's a thousand observations every month. Uh, and we've been looking at consumers' perceptions. This is particularly right now on the CBD uh, side of the coin. Uh, but in the next uh, couple of quarters, probably not next quarter, but the quarter after that, we'll have either a specific grain survey come out or a specific fiber survey come out about uh, consumers' desires and what do they really care about? So on the, you know, when we look at food surveys, one of the things that always comes back uh, for for food is taste is king, right? Mm, right taste sure. is that key piece. So does that matter on the CBD side? And does that matter on the grain side? Or do consumers not really care about that as much in this space? So I'm kind of curious to see how some of that plays out. But this is also feeding into this uh, this idea of all right, we're surveying people about what they want. But now we've also got access to data to what they are actually consuming. So are the two matching? Do the two converge? So you can tell me that you want this, but are you spending your dollars in this location to do that? Now, granted, that that is primarily limited to the grain and, and somewhat the CBD space just because it's hard to uh, you, you don't buy a whole lot of fiber products at a grocery. So, right. <laughs> um, right, right. you know, right. we're, we're looking into how we get maybe some construction pieces within that, but it's probably just now in the last year or two starting to show up in that data, if it's starting to show up in any measurable number yet at all. So we, we probably still have a couple of years before we, we can really do a whole lot on the fiber space, but I think we can really uh, start to drill down here uh, in uh in the grain and fiber space. One of the other kind of interesting things that's coming out of that, which is uh, a little bit concerning, I would say on my part, is consumers really are struggling to understand the differences between hemp and marijuana. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's and, an issue. Right. right. And if we can't figure out how to communicate the differences, there's going to be a, pop, a percentage of the population in the country that are just never going to consume this product because they perceive it as marijuana. So, we, we've got to figure out how to, to handle uh, that scenario and how to uh, educate consumers on what these products are and what they aren't. Yeah, I think that's the first big one, right, is the difference between hemp and marijuana, because it's all particularly we don't I don't I try not to use the word cannabis that much just because I don't want to get those things mixed up. And look, we've got some of our growers that are going to be growing medical marijuana. Welcome to America go get them tiger. Okay. But that's just not what, <clears throat> what we're doing, but it, there's also that undercurrent of that as well, not just a difference between marijuana and industrial hemp, but also for those that are saying, Hey, look, the CBD folks are different than the grain and fiber folks, even within the hemp world. Right. And so um, um, those are some interesting dynamics that look, part of that comes because we are still, you know, a pretty immature industry. We just don't have, you know, we've got 
different groups that are all trying to do their thing. And, you know, so it's, it'll be <clears throat> some time before it settles out. No. And I, I agree totally in that, you know, you know, that's, that's one of the things, you know, when we look at a word cloud or, or first words that come to mind, marijuana is the first thing that pops up whenever we talk about hemp. Now, it, yeah. yeah. Now I, I would agree that there are differences between uh, the CBD producers, the grain producers, the fiber producers. However, from a regulatory standpoint, what I think a lot of people, they, they say that this all needs to be managed and regulated differently. I, I agree and we will get there. However, Right now, the varieties and the genetics that we're seeing, even on the grain and fiber side, are going can push above that 0.3% THC. Right. So I, you know, you could shoot yourself in the industry, shoot yourself in the foot as an industry if you don't regulate that portion of it and somebody goes in and harvests that fiber and now moves that into the extraction industry. So right. I think as those genetics come along and you get genetics that are uh, stable to the point where 0.3% is on the upper end of what they ever measure, right. you know, then yes, it's easy to separate out that piece and go, boom, here's grain fiber. You don't have to worry about testing this all the time because now we know that your genetics are stable. This is the end use product that you're going for. Now, if you're going to compete in a dual or a triple crop type scenario that includes a cabin cannabinoid, it may have to be under that regulatory umbrella. You know, and, and if you look at Canada, that's really how they've done it, right? I mean, their grain, you, you don't really test grain up there anymore because their genetics are so stable and they've got 30 years worth of uh, data to back up that their genetics are stable and they're always under 0.3%. Right. Nobody cares about it. So you move on. We're not there yet. <laughs> we, ain't there yet. we ain't there yet. <clears throat> you know, and, and the reality of it is, and you don't have to make a comment on this, but you know, this next farm bill, it's going to be interesting to see those markets that that hemp products can cut into around the world of bioenergy and renewable spaces on that and, you know, pulp and paper and certainly we're nowhere to scale to that, you know, um, uh, of really being a true competitor. But we got to think about the history of how it got illegal in the first place. Right. And so, um the more that that market grows and you start taking market share from somebody else, then you can expect that, the, you know, they're not going to just lay over. And I wouldn't, you know, I mean, but just and just say, oh, ho, hum, let's all just get along together. Right. So it's not just the genetics piece. Right. But it's also who's what bear are you poking with that stick right? Right. as and, you move into that? You know, and the bear is not just domestic. The bear is international. So when you look at some of the trade agreements we have, we have trade agreements with countries with 0% THC. So now you're in this space if you want to move a product into a country that has a 0% THC or you have an agreement with that and that becomes part of the negotiating piece. Now you've got a whole nother host of issues that you got to deal with uh, in that international trade arena. Absolutely. So. Well it's fun to watch, and I'm glad we got people like you, um, Dr. Mark, that are watching it with us because um, some of us, uh, uh, many of us need your expertise and those of your colleagues to help us continue to monitor and check out what's going on and to help us think about where we're headed, uh, uh, not only from growers, not only from processors, not from people that only people that are in the 
and the business side of it, but also how does that translate into the policy side as well too? Um, it's a cool time to be hanging in all that stuff. So it most thanks definitely. for what all y'all are doing. It's really been, it's great to hear it. Was there anything else that we had particular that we've cut off that I haven't heard tell well, about or, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to being at NOCO. I'm looking forward to interacting with with people there. Uh, always feel free to reach out to me at the University of Kentucky. Uh, I'm always open for a conversation, uh, trying to figure out how we might work together to, to look at some of this stuff. Uh, you know, and you talked about the the regulatory component. You know, we've got a set of papers that we're trying to get pulled together now to that's really written more towards a lay audience. You know, so that we start to think about how policymakers look at this, because I think you're right. The 2023 Farm Bill. Uh, is going to be probably the next opportunity to think about how we influence and change um, what's going on within the, this industry. Right, 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 right. No doubt about that. So uh, thanks for joining us, Dr. Tyler Mark, who is at the University of Kentucky uh, at the Cooperative Extension Service, but also is a professor there. Um, he wears a bunch of different hats. And uh, any of you who are going to NOCO, make sure you find out when Dr. Mark is speaking. I don't know if they've given us all our slots yet. We know we're going, but we don't know when. Uh, we know we're, <laughs> um, uh, for several of us who were speaking at, at that point in time. And so uh, uh, thank you very much for the, I would highly suggest that you go back and check out their website um, you can just easily put that into one of your search engines and find uh, uh, the, the uh, industrial hemp uh, or hemp page at, at uh, UK. Uh, they got a ton of resources, including this very cool enterprise budget. So if you're trying to get an idea, it's tabbed down at the bottom for people who are slow like me, right? Am I doing CBD? Is it flour? Is it industrial? Is it grain? Is it fiber? different ideas to at least just turn on your brain about things you need to be thinking about before you start writing some checks and getting into the hemp industry. So it's a, it's a big help as well too. So um, uh, remember, go back and check out NOCO. Uh, if you have not done that yet, uh, I think that there are virtual options as well for people who might not be able to physically show up so that you could be able to get some of the good content that's coming on as well too. So if you'd like to know more about what we're doing at the National Hemp Growers Co-op, please go back to our website at nationalhempcoop.us and uh, we've got a little a weekly update on some cool things we're doing as well as other things that we're rolling out uh, uh, as far as the co-op is concerned and opportunities across the country. And um, until next time, thanks for joining us. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.